0: You know, I started out, uh, I went to Central Catholic High up there. In, uh, oh, well,
1: I went to Central for one year and then I ended yeah. up going So, so
0: I, uh, I played football there for a couple of years and I uh, was, you know, pretty much into the athletics. I ran a little track and uh, not quite as fast as I was supposed to, but, you know, <laughs> so but like, we had fun and, uh, but then, I, you know, I think around that time, that's probably like 68, 69, when all those great, you know, classic albums came out, you know, and that really turned my head for music.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. And you know what? You remember this song, don't you, Greg? Uh, Play that funky music. I know you do, for sure. And our guest today is Brian Bassett, and Brian's a uh, guitarist and much, much more. Brian, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? Great. Glad to be here absolutely so greg you know you're you like you're really into music aren't you greg
2: that's one of your things you you i I love music you know i remember listening to fog hat when i was a kid i used to go visit my grandmother west palm beach and my my great uncle owned a pool hall that had pinball machines and jukebox and we used to play fool for the city slow ride i mean it was just all the greatest just i just some of the best memories i had you know, in the seventies, listening to that stuff. It was just amazing.
1: Oh, that's cool to hear.
2: Yeah. When you think about that, did you think when you started
1: out, did you always want to be a musician, Brian? You know, I started out, I went to central Catholic high
0: up there. In, uh, oh, well
1: I went to central for one year and then I ended yeah. up going to Sarah. So,
0: so I, uh, I played football there for a couple of years and I was, you know, pretty much into the athletics. I ran a little track and uh, not quite as fast as I was supposed to, but you know, <laughs> so I, but we had fun and, uh, but then i you know i think around that time it's probably like 68 69 when all those great you know classic albums came out you know and that really turned my head for music i got a guitar around that time i think everybody in my neighborhood got a guitar or a drum or something you know, there was a lot of you know basement bands playing louis Louie and gloria and you know and that was the beginning of it i you know i started taking some lessons and um you know as i when i got out of high school club scene in pittsburgh was unbelievable then you know, when I moved to Florida some years later, I was so disappointed. I was so spoiled with the Pittsburgh club scene. You know, we were playing five nights a week, you know, four hours a night. And, um, you know, pretty much a great place to learn your craft, you know, as far as being a musician. There were so many great bands. Everybody was playing original music. You know, the Iron City House Rockers, you know, with the Joe Shecky and Billy Price. And, uh, you know, the Silencers, uh, you know, Norm Nardini. I mean, it was just a lot of great music you know come in Pittsburgh at that time and and really through the years but really in that era and and clubs had a cover charge so you could actually make a half decent living playing in the clubs you know so uh yeah I I loved it and I got bit early on you know of course like a lot of young a lot of guitar players my age the Ed Sullivan show you know really sparked that early interest in music you know with all the great bands British invasion bands that were on the TV and I, uh, yep, that was the beginning of it. And, uh, I actually started making money at it and that kept me doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, set 1975, 76 was my wild cherry years. And you know, when I joined the band and we, and really we had a, a big hit record right off the bat, it was, uh, unbelievable, really, you know, and, um, uh, uh, rob parisi was uh from Scubaville, ohio uh, but we played mostly in the pittsburgh area but we're tri-state you know we're we're down to west virginia all the way over to cleveland and uh, it was a great time uh for me and uh, uh, you know and really to have that big of a success you know well this is like 50 years later but you know when your first record's a number one record you go hey this recording thing's pretty easy you know <laughs> <laughs> but Fifty years later, you're trying still trying to hit the charts, but well, there you go.
2: <laughs> How many number ones have you had?
0: Just that one, you know. We charted. While well, Cherry charted five songs altogether, but you know, in the in the top one hundred, but only that first one, you know, was the one that really did it for us. And and we were managed by uh, the Belkin Brothers, which were big concert promoters, not unlike the, you know the Caesar Ingler in Pittsburgh. Uh, up in uh, Cleveland was the Belkin Brothers, and they were national. Um, Agency that you know did concerts, and so we were able to get you know with that hit record, we opened up for so many great R and B bands. Just about everybody, you know, from uh, we did shows on the last Jackson Five tour, The Commodores, Zirkland and Fire, Average White Band. You know, the list goes on and on of the acts that we were able to perform with. So you know, that was for a young musician. It was a, a really great
1: time for me. Wow, you know, and so you think about the people you met. I guess uh, from that that first hit that kind of puts you on the map the band did you guys expect that to happen was that like just such a surprise when you thought- it, was, it
0: was a pretty big surprise i gotta say you. you know we were playing the clubs of course there's a vinyl era still you know i think cassettes were still the new a new thing then you know but uh we were wanted to get a 45 into the local jukeboxes to jack up our price a couple hundred bucks and uh we went up to Cleveland recording and that's where we cut it up on our own dime. We paid for the session ourselves. And, uh, just in the hopes of, uh, you know, getting a record deal, you know, we didn't have a company at that point and, and to get a single press so we could get something in the local jukeboxes. And, uh, but Carl Midori was a, a guy that worked for sweet city records based out of Cleveland. They were looking for, you know, funk acts, you know, and we fit the bill they happened to come into the studio and heard the song and before you know what we were on uh epic records which was you know, sweet city was a subsidiary of epic records and then the belkins got us out touring and it you know sort of blew up from there
2: wow that's that's incredible how I was, I was curious like how many takes does it take to get like the the one that you make the the final cut that makes it you know, to the public on like when you're that, doing
0: this song, I think was the second take. We only did like two or three cuts of it. And uh, cause we were playing it live for some time in the clubs. So we were well rehearsed. And so when we went into the studio, we pretty much just knocked it, I think we knocked it out. I think it took longer to mix the song than it did for us to record it. <laughs> so uh, Ken Hammond was the owner of the studio and, you know, we had tried mixing it for a couple of days and trying all these fancy stuff. And Ken's like, Get out of the way. Let me do it. <laughs> Finally, he put it all together in about a half hour. And that was that <laughs> the year, you know. So, but um, yeah, we, we went down really quick. We were very well rehearsed when we went into the studio then.
1: So, Greg, I have a question for Greg Fog Hat. Is that so? How did you discover really the, the
2: band, Greg? Just listening to music or just like at the, at the Carefree Billiard Hall in West Palm Beach, Florida? And that <laughs> was it. Right in the jukebox. There you go. That was it. 70, 70, right.
0: 70 uh 75 76 were big years for fog Hat too and in fact we used to follow them around in the arenas i'd be on the you know opening for somebody Izzy brothers or or average white band tour and then, but Foghat would be right you know the week before us or the week after us so and i had played you know, as a cover band in pittsburgh you know i played a lot of fog Hat songs uh you know coming up so uh I was real familiar with them, didn't meet them till you know, for till many years later, but, um, so I was aware of them as well, you know, they were a big band, you know, great songs for the club's band to play, you know?
2: Yeah. Backman Turner overdrive back then. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. For Good sure. Stuff. Yes. Trying to describe bog music for us.
0: Uh, I'd say English blues, uh, English blues rock, you know, and then they were always called a boogie band because, you know, they always had, uh, um, you know like an up-tempo kind of dance thing not really dance but just sort of rock and roll dance kind of feel and i think that's because they were uh lonesome dave and rod they were all influenced by john lee hooker quite a bit you know who had had the boogie you know it was the john lee hooker's handle and uh and so that kind of music you know made its way into that that combined with english blues rock
1: okay well
0: very
2: cool yeah that's why the
0: uh, i think so many musicians my age actually learned about american blues artists by delving into the records of the british invasion bands coming over you know uh, yeah. and, uh, john mayle and you know and savoy brown fogat you know led 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 zeppelin you know pretty much every uh, rock band of that era were using blue american blues songs and you know influences to make their records and And when you're looking at it, you're like, hey, who's this, uh, you know, Albert King guy, you know, or who's who's this guy? And you start, you know, B.B. King, Freddie King, all the Kings. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) you know, then as a guitar player, you start, you know, delving into their influences. And so they really fed us back our own history musically.
2: Wow. What what was your favorite band back in the 70s that you like to listen to?
0: You know, I liked all the, I liked Fleetwood Mac. I was a big Peter yep. Green fan from when he played with John Mayo. I listened to all the John Mayo guitar players. Uh, that They were my influences, Eric Clapton, all uh, Peter Green, uh, Mick Taylor. And uh, I was a huge Cream fan when they hit, hit it. Um, of course, you know, loved Hendrix. He wasn't as much an influence on me because really I couldn't play like him. So <laughs> I sort of went more with the blues guys. I think Clapton was probably the biggest influence on me uh, yeah. playing-wise in those days. Uh, yeah, so that was it. I just got into the blues rock groove. Uh, Savoy Brown, funny enough, that's where Foghat came from. Three of the members of Savoy Brown became Foghat. Um, but they had some great um, instrumentals there and just guitar-oriented songs that, as a club band, they were great to play, you know, in the beer halls. and all, You could get, do a 20-minute song, you know, and have a lot of guitar soloing and jamming, and so that kind of music was great for the clubs.
1: Now, when I think about specifically enough, how does certain music live on? fog hat music and then also you know going back to play that funky music and all that stuff How, is it crazy when you see new generations listening to your music
0: yeah it's great and I, um you know it's it's all about the song i guess you know and and i think people's memory of what they were doing you know just like you were saying with in the poll hall people's memories of that g- great time of your life when you're having fun and certain songs are like the soundtrack to your life i always say we'd play that funky music and you know, we made the wedding circuit you know so you can hardly go you can hardly go to a wedding after party and not hear you know we are family and you know brick house and play that funky music and when everybody's dancing at the wedding party so you know that's you know that kind of thing keeps your song alive in people's lives like you know i guess and um yeah so it's just nice to be associated with a song that had such you know longevity and
2: and you're playing in a band now and you have a band
0: I do, sure. I've been in uh, the lead guitarist of Foghead for 28 years altogether, uh, starting in. I played with Lonesome Dave uh, when I lo- relocated to Florida. I worked in a blues recording studio as a session guitarist and producer engineer for Kingsnake Records and uh, for some years there, and I met Lonesome Dave in Orlando, Florida, when he had returned from England and moved there. We became friends, and he asked me to start touring with him, and that's when I got into the Foghat family, so that was... 89. I played with him from 89 to 92. Wow. I, then I joined Molly Hatchett, Southern Rock Band. I played with him <laughs> from 92 to 99 and then I was asked back to uh, Foghat in 2000 and I've been here ever since.
1: Wow, greatest projects happening with Foghat. Update us. We
0: have a brand new record coming out. It's going to drop on November 10th. It's called Sonic Mojo. I think it's our 17th uh, studio album. We have quite a few live albums too. Uh, one we just released it was called Eight Days on the Road that was came out during the pandemic. That's what kept me busy during the 2020 when everybody was off the road doing nothing. You know, I was in the studio working on that live album. I do most of the producing and engineering for all the fog projects, you know, for the last 20 years. Um, so that's our new thing coming out. We're just, we're adding the new songs to the set. We have a couple record release parties, one in New York, one in uh, Los Angeles, uh, in November. And, uh, so that's uh, what we're trying to get the word out about that. And, uh, you know, I think we have two singles released, now. one's called driving on and, uh, one's called a little bit of everything. Those are actually available as pre-releases. And, uh, we just hope, uh, people get a chance to hear it.
2: Well, That's wow. great in the concerts. Uh, are your audience mostly boomers or all uh gens now, or it's pretty much all gens. You know, Every, we had some songs uh, well, particularly
0: Slow Ride Fogat was uh, one of the first songs you had to play on the Guitar Hero game when that came out some years ago. And and all of a sudden, we had these like uh, preteens and young teens coming up to our autograph table, you know, with their plastic guitars from the game and having us sign <laughs> them and stuff, you know, because I think that was the first song you had to get through to move on with the game so all that's of a sudden we have all these new fans and and we do a lot of city festivals a lot of outdoor all-age shows so yeah we see sort of like three generations our original you know fans which are pretty much grandparents now and uh, yeah. and their kids and you know raised got raised up on their parents record collection and now now their kids so you know coming out to the
1: shows wow that's fantastic and i think that when you're talking a record are we talking record or is that how you're saying it like is it
0: well actually you know a couple years ago that would just be something i said because it was everything was digital and cd but now vinyl is a a big thing we have uh we're going to do a pretty big run of vinyl uh, 180 gram purple vinyl you know in in the full album size so actually saying an album is relevant again
1: (laughs) and so it's it's become a good gimmick to sell at shows then right yeah,
0: back. absolutely. You know, and it, and people were back collecting. You know, I have my uh, college-age daughters. I was giving going to give away my record collection, which I have five or six hundred records, to my friend that owns a record store. My daughters like, no, you know, we want them.
2: So I <laughs> go into my
0: storage locker and dig out my old turntable and my old power amps, and and now my daughter's room looks like mine did in 1972.
1: so i guess brian disco's not dead we're not getting rid of records then disco's not dead either then right hey people will always dance i don't care what you call it (laughs) exactly all right greg has a question he asked every one of our celebrities go ahead greg
2: with your question all right brian so this is for me and for my listeners right and it's really important to help us all develop from your what you've benefited from in your career and your success so brian What's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned?
0: Uh, Be yourself, you know, just um, believe in yourself. I think I taught at college for some time, and that's the thing I tried to convey to my students the most is that success is not as far away as you might think. You know, I'm taught at Daytona State College, you know, a small town. And. And you don't have to go, you can go to Nashville, you can go to New York, you can go to LA to chase your dreams if you know, particularly in the music industry. But everything can be done as long as you believe in yourself. You know, that's it. Um find your passion, follow it, get some good instruction in the music business, get some good legal advice. <laughs> But that's what I would say is the most important thing is self-confidence and, uh, you know, finding a passion of what you were, as my dad would say, find what you would do for free and then try to figure out how to make a living out of it.
1: And that's, so that's yeah. a great point that a lot of people are unhappy about. If they're not doing something they love. That's a right. great, Very great. You know, when, you get
0: to, when you get to my age, you know, you know I'm going to be 70 next year. So I've been able to play my guitar my whole life, you know, and there's been obviously ups and downs and, you know, and, uh, and you're financial world and but uh, when you do something you love and like you said and you would do it for free I mean I, my wife you know and my friends say oh, are you ever going to retire and I go well what would I do I get together with my friends and play music that's sort of what I do every day so
1: yeah, um, yeah doing your passion
0: that's- that kind of thing is important when, when you look back at your life and you enjoyed it and done what you love and you know hopefully created something and then and music you know hopefully I entertained a few people
1: along the way alright well we appreciate it great information best place people can find information on fog hat and pick up the record today where can they go again it launches in november That's yep foghat.com is. has everything all your foghat needs so <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta look into these vinyls it's amazing we're going into web 3.0 and certain things but <laughs> we're going back to vinyls you got your cassette tapes too you know i greg are they bringing back cassette tapes i just found my wrestling tapes by the way so yeah, <laughs> stay tuned on that one so what i about eight a- tracks I mean, oh, tracks too. It's bring A-tracks yeah, you know, back too. We, we ever find some of those at, a,
0: at a, every concert? Someone will come up with an old A-track.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All,
1: right. All right. Well, appreciate it, guys. All right. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and celebrity interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hannett.